0: Supply shortages, overpriced parts, questionable foreign sources, they all threaten the defense supply chain. The Government Accountability Office found, though, the DOD's Industrial Base Policy Office does not have a fully developed strategy to mitigate those risks. Details now from the GAO's Director of Contracting and National Security Acquisitions, Bill Russell. Mr. Russell, good to have you back.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom.
0: And when supply chain makes you know, your cornflakes more expensive, it's pretty bad, but when the DOD doesn't have control over the supply base. In fact, didn't a high-ranking Air Force Acquisition General recently say, this is what is going to make us lose to China if we don't fix acquisition?
1: Absolutely. The defense industrial base is critical for DOD to meet its needs and for the U.S. to meet its national security priorities. It's the combination of 200,000-plus companies that are the people, the tech the institutions, facilities that design, develop, manufacture, and maintain all of the weapon systems that DOD relies upon, plus some of the other items to meet our defense purposes. So it's just critical that it's up and running in a good way that supply chain risks are identified and mitigated where they can be.
0: Because they do have, as your report points out, this industrial base policy office. And given everything we know about supply chain in the past several years, What is it they specifically need to do in GAO's estimation?
1: We were looking for a comprehensive strategy, and we applied some best practices for strategy development. And there were a number of things. DOD did have some goals, but they didn't really mention all of the goals they wanted to accomplish through their defense supply chain efforts, be it at the DOD level or at the military department level. And we thought it was really important, for example, The department does a a pretty good job in identifying what the risks are to the supply chain, but not a lot of information on, okay, well, what are the performance measures that are going to allow us to know where we're devoting dollars, how that's mitigating some of those risks, what success is going to look like, what the milestones are to get there along the way, some more detail around the resources that would be needed to meet those targets, and ultimately just an implementation plan. Okay, you have the risks. What's the plan? What's the strategy? So that all parts of the department are rowing in the same direction to achieve some critical goals.
0: When you look at DOD acquisition, contracting, spending, it's the old story. You know, most of it goes to, say, 25, 30 of the largest contractors who in turn use subcontractors to fulfill what it is they're doing. Is that part of the concern also? Or did you only look at when you say 200,000 companies, they're not all primes, correct?
1: That's right. That would be the network of small businesses, certainly the large primes, medium-sized businesses, the whole range, the whole ecosystem of companies that support the defense industrial base. And then when I say risks, what we really looked at are some of the key supply chain problems that DOD tries to contend with, like foreign dependency in the supply chain, material shortages, like we saw with the response to the pandemic and other things uh, even more recently. Just how are you going to identify where the critical material might be? And when there's a choke point in the supply chain, how are you going to alleviate that? And then certainly the environment of single and sole source suppliers. So what do you do when there's only one company that can make a critical part that you're going to need?
0: And this does also extend to software, correct, where often the programming is farmed out in modules, and that can be a foreign entry into supply chain.
1: Certainly. Computer systems, microelectronics, semiconductors, hardware, software, cybersecurity, you know, that's all part of the supply chain that needs to be considered and in, in to be secure.
0: Because to be fair to the DOD, the main, say, weapons platforms that they buy, the central core acquisition items, those are pretty much sourced all in the United States, a tank, an airplane, et cetera. There's no Chinese parts in those. So this really gets into more of the technology support area and the increasing software dependence, which, of course, relies on microelectronics dependence. That's kind of where I think it's fair to say the major weaknesses are about to occur.
1: Certainly. Microelectronics is a big area, semiconductors. So there is the technology support piece of it. But then there are more, I'd say, traditional concerns with shipbuilding, just having a robust shipbuilding sector and facilities that have been modernized to support the Navy's needs largely. There's an area called castings and forging, which is really the, you know, think about pouring the liquid steel to make the critical parts needed in, in some weapon systems. So having the capabilities in place to do that forging. is an area that DOD is hoping to manage. It's one of their priority areas in terms of risk.
0: We we're speaking with Bill Russell, Director of Contracting and National Security Acquisitions at the GAO. So when you talk about those types of issues, that almost gets deep into the educational system because people may not realize it. But to know when to, say, pour a melt of some alloy or some even basic steel you really need a lot of technological knowledge. It used to be somebody would look at a ladle and say, now, and pour it. Now there's sensors in every part of that ladle and every part of the mixture is all machine-controlled. It's highly skilled work to pour a chunk of iron into a casting or to forge a piece of metal. So does this concern extend to DOD for the raw material in terms of human capital to be able to understand and want to do metallurgy as a job, as a career?
1: Certainly, that's one of the cross-cutting causes that we've seen for some of these risks is just the diminishing workforce skills. You know, think about STEM skills, that sort of workforce or the advanced technologies that DOD wants to acquire. And that's where we have seen DOD try to mitigate some of those risks. But a key finding in our report was that they're not really tracking and reporting on the progress that's been made. So certainly, there are programs either at the DOD level or within the military departments to try to mitigate some of these risks, but not a lot of effective tracking of the progress that's been made and certainly then reporting back on what progress has been made. So, for example, there could be programs that have mitigated some of these particular workforce challenges. But unless you have metrics for defining success and then are tracking your progress against those metrics and reporting on the results, it's hard to say, how far you've gone to mitigate some of these key risks.
0: And is there an intergovernmental aspect to this? And I'll say, for example, suppose I really like metallurgy to get back to castings, and I want to Mm -hmm. build a casting plant to serve DOD to help shipbuilding, and I've got some talented people that know how to do this, I've got metal supplies, raw material supplies. Suppose I wanted to build that in, say, Fairfax County or Montgomery County, Maryland. I would be in litigation for 10 years to say nothing of the environmental impact requirements. And probably I could not actually do that ever. Is that that something that you looked at in the report also?
1: Not so much that interagency piece of it, but we did look at the mechanisms that DOD has responsibility for. One that springs to mind is the Defense Production Act, Title III, which allows them to use funds to, let's say there was an existing casting and forging facility and you wanted to ramp up production or add to it, upgrade the facility. There are funds available that DOD can use to help with those sorts of things. That was where we focused
0: all right. And so getting to your six major recommendations here in this latest report, you've got one to the Secretary of the Air Force, to the Secretary of the Army, the Secretary of the Navy, and the Secretary of Defense. And so it's essentially a similar recommendation for all of them. What essentially are you calling on them to do here?
1: At the highest level, it's really for DOD to develop a consolidated and comprehensive strategy to help mitigate the industrial-based risks that it's already identified. That includes the development and use of enterprise-wide performance measures to monitor the risks and to measure success in mitigating them over time, and then to also report on the progress in mitigating those risks. And for each of the military departments, it was basically a subset of that recommendation, which is to better monitor and report on the progress you're making to address some of the industrial-based risks within each of the military departments.
0: And did they basically agree but haven't done anything?
1: Right. So the report just came out, um, but DOD did, to its credit, largely agree with the recommendations, and we look forward to monitoring their, their progress to implement them.
0: Bill Russell is Director of Contracting and National Security Acquisitions at the Government Accountability Office. As always, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom.
0: We'll post this interview along with a link to his report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
2: Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration, and over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations. For leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country, Angie. Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here.
2: Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader, and what about them inspired you? you
3: no, know, I often think about this because you know sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has you know been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old and uh, I remember I really wanted to play little league baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser.
2: Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today?
3: Well. Stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do.
2: Angie, thanks so much for joining us today.
3: Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you.
2: This has been the Lessons in Leadership Podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time.
3: This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips.